Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be looking at the kingdom of God through Matthew. And so we've got three hours scheduled, and hopefully my sound is working. I have started the chat room, so if anybody wants to go into the chat room and let me know if you're hearing me clear so that we don't have any mic troubles again. And uh, so I see other people logging into the queue. And of course, uh, we'll we'll try to get to uh, Matthew 14, and uh, then we'll go on to another section. I've prepared some other stuff. Somebody asked me to watch a video, and I've actually watched two of them, and, uh, and look at a procedure that some people are doing. And uh, we, we've touched on this before, and I've now put a huge section into our Guru page, Guru Theories page. Uh, so that uh, people who come across this don't fall prey to it. I could actually imagine I, I, I a few more links that I could probably put in there to help people. But uh, I don't know who all's involved in this. I don't know. Uh, I've seen it where people are just involved in, in money issues and all that stuff. Uh, but uh, and uh, they're actually shysters and they're robbing people. I don't see that in this. They're sincere. But I, I don't think they're really accomplishing what they think they're accomplishing. But intent is an important thing. So hopefully that somebody will share uh, this topic with them, which we will put at the end of this show. And we'll just focus on Matthew right now. And uh, then I will be able to separate out what we talk about them, uh, which is the C2K people or CK2 people. <laughs> but anyway... Hopefully we will uh, uh, put that, and I'll put that in a separate audio, and we'll put it with our Guru page on the section that I just added in there concerning what I've learned about them listening to those two videos and looking at their website. So anyway, we're going to be looking at Matthew 14. Uh, and, of course, Matthew 14 starts right off with the death of John the Baptist. We did uh, 13 this morning. And uh, 13 was dealing with parables, lots of different parables, uh, tares in the wheat and, uh, you know, the leaven in, in the measure of flour. And leaven in the Old Testament means cruelty. When you're supposed to get the leaven out of your bread, uh, of your free bread, of your welfare system, because they were in a welfare system in Egypt. That's how they got into the bondage of Egypt, is the Pharaoh said, well, I'll feed you, but you're going to owe a percentage of your labor from now on to me because I'm feeding you. Now, I don't know how strict he was about it, but it was basically one-fifth, 
of what they produced went to the pharaoh. And with that, a great deal of wealth went into the pharaoh's hands because everybody, not just Israel, but all the people of Egypt went into the same system, which was very similar to that of the turtle dove goddess of Sumer and the rest of these, and even uh, Nimrod. And it's actually the same as what Cain was doing. But uh, that isn't a bad system in itself, but it creates great temptations because it has a tendency to weaken the people and give rise to tyrants. It has a tendency to become a covetous practice and, and therefore will degenerate the people. And they end up instituting the rule of force and violence. Now, you could have such a system where everybody pays into a central treasury and uh, it, the money goes there and it trickles down and it's managed more from the top down than from the bottom up. It's way better off to do it from the bottom up. And there's not as many temptations. But the, where the real temptation comes when you do it from the bottom up, which, which is what Moses was teaching, what Christ was teaching, is that apathy can set in. And people can stop because they become uh, so successful that there is the danger of repose. And you could do, we could do a whole program on repose. I don't think I've ever done a web page on that. But re- repose, and, and I use that particular word. There's probably a couple other words that you can use. But repose can cause degeneration in the people. It, it, it can cause an atrophy amongst the people and uh you know it's like living in a a weightless uh state and you can become weaker and weaker and weaker when you're subject to this repose you don't have you need some stress if you want your muscles to get stronger you've got to use them you've got to pit the weight of and the strength of your muscles against something else and then they get stronger if you're put in a low gravity state, your legs, you will lose muscle mass and your your legs will become weaker unless you work at it really hard. Uh, your heart will become weaker. It, it won't become so, well, I'm not sure exactly all what would happen, but it would become weak enough that when you were put in an intense gravity situation again, what you were, what you're used to, you know, one G force now, if you were living at what is, if you were living on Mars, what is it, like uh, six-tenths of Earth's gravity on Mars? And so if you lived on Mars for 10 years or born on Mars in that gravity, and then you tried to come to Earth, you'd find it very difficult because Earth's gravity would be so much more, you would have to readjust. And so, but that's, that's what repose does. Repose takes the burden off of you, and then you become weaker. And of course, that's what happens when you create a system of legal charity. It takes the burden off of you. You don't have to make certain choices. You don't have to make sure that what you're sh- sharing with other people is strengthening them and everything. You just just pay in your, what it used to be, 1.5% for Social Security. Just pay that in. And the government worries about it. You don't have to worry about it anymore. 
you, you don't have to join the militia and protect your community from thieves and robbers and from invasion. You know, you just pay a tax and the government does it. But it takes choice out of your hand. You become a person, a thing, a cog in this machinery. It takes, you know, it takes some of that burden off of you, but it has a tendency to come back and bite you <laughs> and become more burdensome. And so it's, and it's part of that repose thing. You don't have to decide. You don't have to get to know your neighbors. You know, uh, that was one of the things I, I kind of amazed at is when I was at earthquakes back in, when was that? Late 60s. We had some earthquakes, early 70s in California. And it did a lot of damage, cut off water and everything. Well, we kind of knew where our neighbors were, but we didn't we didn't go play bridge at our neighbor's house. So we didn't wasn't that kind of a neighborhood. You can have a neighborhood, and you don't need your neighbor. Your friends maybe live halfway across town or somewhere else. You know, or you know, like I went to private school, so most of my friends were in the private school. The private school was a long ways away, so I didn't know all my neighbors. When I was a little kid and went to private school. Everybody on my block, just about, went to school at the private school. A couple of them went to public school. But almost everybody, all the kids my age, went to the same school I did. And so uh, my, they knew my parents, and my parents knew them, and they were, and it was a school related to a church. So we had a somewhat of a community. But even then, it wasn't like the community of the first century church. Because the first century church... If you had any sort of welfare need, uh, you lost your job, your your parents got sick, you got sick, uh, you had to go to church to get aid. There was nobody else to give you aid. I mean, there were institutions around that would do it, but you had to sign up for them and, and contribute to them. And, of course, that was the free bread of Rome. Christians didn't eat the free bread of Rome. They didn't eat at that table because that table was a snare. And they understood that because they had read the Bible. They had read the Septuagint even, and they knew that. And they had heard Christ, and they knew what he meant when he said things like, call no man father. Today, people don't know. And that's kind of the problem with these guys that I'm going to talk about in the last part of the show. So they don't seem to quite get it. I think they could, but we'll have to have that conversation. I saw him in an interview with somebody in England. And uh, But anyway, we'll talk about that uh, when, when we get to that topic. So anyway, we saw these parables. He talks about an old and old treasures. And, of course, there's the unrighteous mammon is entrusted wealth. And the righteous mammon is entrusted wealth. The means and method of those two systems determine whether it's righteous or unrighteous. And, of course... The same with the Corbin of the Pharisees. The method and means of the Corbin of the Pharisees caused that system of sacrifice, which is what Corbin means, of gifting, which we're going to see as we go through uh, 14, 15, 16. Because there's certain words that are we find the same story in, in Mark, and we see the word Corbin. And it says that Corbin is like... Doron in the Greek it has the word Doron and uh, 
you don't see the Corbin word in Matthew. But you see the Doron word. And we know that Mark just said that Corbin is like Doron. So all you have to do is know what the word Doron means. And it means gift. But it means a certain kind of gift. Because I, I can give you right off the top of my head four different Greek words that can mean gift. But it means a certain kind of gift. But we'll cover that when we get to those chapters. <laughs> so now we're going to look at 14. And like I said, it begins right away with the death of John the Baptist. And at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodotus' sake, his brother Philip's wife. So Herodias is the wife now, supposedly the wife, of Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch is Herod Antipas, Herod after the father. It's the second Herod. And we can tell you more about him, and we will as we go through this. But he had married his brother Philip's wife. And, of course, John the Baptist didn't like that. He says, you can, you can marry Herodias when uh, Philip is dead, but not while he lives. That's a violation of the Mosaic Law from the point of view of John the Baptist, and he's right. And Herodias did not like that. She wanted to be able to do what she was doing. And there's a long long story as to why that is, but basically there was this conflict. But anyway, it goes on in verse 4, For John said unto him, It is unlawful for thee to have her, Herodias. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. So Herod did not want to put John the Baptist to death. He didn't desire that. And when we read Mark and compare Mark, uh, Herod actually liked John the Baptist. He didn't like what he was saying about his taking his brother's wife, but he had a, a lot he liked about John the Baptist. And I will tell you some anecdote stories that come from other writings, ancient writings of that time that are outside of the biblical text concerning Herod. Because there's reason to believe that Herod liked Jesus too and recognized Jesus as having the rightful claim to his throne. And that's actually in the biblical text. I would only give you extra biblical text to just kind of give you the surroundings. And, and nobody reads the Bible without extra biblical text because Otherwise, you don't know who all the players are. You know, you can kind of piece it together, but you need to know the history. You need to know the history to know the language. You need to know what's going on and why there's going on in order to know all the fine details. Now, ultimately, what you need is the Holy Spirit, and then you wouldn't even need to read the Bible. <laughs> but we read the Bible because 
A lot of people think they have the Holy Spirit. They think they're blessed by God. They think they're following Christ, but they're not. And Christ warns us that many would think that, that they're actually followers of Christ and they're actually workers of iniquity. And I've, I point that out regularly because people seem to forget that. Of course, that's never in reference to any of you out there. <laughs> that's only in reference to those other guys, those other denominations, etc. So anyway, I see we got all kinds of people in the chat room. Uh, we don't have a lot of people in the queue yet, but maybe they'll join. I just sent out the notices. Uh, and if, of course, anybody who gets on the network, they they will get those notices. But, uh, yeah, I don't see. And if anybody has any questions in the uh, network or listening to us online, because I sent online links so they can listen to the show online, I, I, I've already shut that feed, so I'm not watching it. I, I assume if somebody else sees that we're not going out on the feed, they'll let me know. Um, but uh, they, uh, if they want to call in, I'll give that number because I'll cut this section out again. But uh, the number is 319-527-6208. If you want to call in and actually ask a question on air, 319-319-527-5278. Six two zero eight. So anyway, that's uh, that's how you call in and ask a question. If you uh, go to the website uh, or there on the website, you should be able to click and in, get into the chat room, and you can ask a question there. You just have to put Gregory at the beginning, and I will look for it. But uh, also, I want to. I need to also make sure that I disconnect my own. I don't want my cell phone ringing while I'm on. <laughs> We're disconnecting that and turning the volume way down so you don't hear those deals. And uh, I'm going to unplug the internal phones here so they don't ring. So we will not be disturbed. So anyway, uh, we'll go back to 14 and we'll see if we can figure out what all this is about. Because they talk about a birthday. Herod was celebrating his birthday. So birthdays have been around for a long time. <laughs> so he's celebrating his birthday. He says, but when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. There's all kinds of stuff written about what the people think went on and everything. But anyway, Herod was happy with her performance there. And you can get your mind down like it was really abominations and all that stuff. I don't think it was quite uh, as negative as a lot of people think. Uh, based on, you know, reading all the texts and the comments that Herod made and some of the things he did that, that we'll see in Mark, uh, there's something there's something more going on here. But uh, what he did say, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. That's never a, a, a good idea with a young girl. <laughs> so, so that's just a heads up. But anyway, he did it. That's, that's what they're reporting. And she being before instructed of her mother said, give me her, excuse me, give me here 
John Baptist's head in a charger. A charger's like a big platter. It's kind of a deep platter. I mean, it could actually maybe even hold soup. But uh, it could be several different things, just based on the original Greek that we're reading. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. Now, in other Gospels, we know that who are all these people with him? They're, they're actually his captains and his lords, all the people that work for him. And in those days, it was very important that the people that worked for you trusted you, that knew you were a man of your word, because they, they depended on that a great deal. It's not so popular today, <laughs> but it was real popular back then. That was absolutely essential. If you weren't a man of your word, you would not expect the people that work for you to also keep their word. And that was very important, as we see with the Roman centurion, where he says that, you know, that his men, he knows that if he says do this, they're going to do it. because And they also know that if he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And this is a trust that is developed amongst men who have to go out and face battle, face dangers. You know, like uh, if you say, well, you climb down here and I'll climb up there and I'll throw a rope down to you. And you get down there and you're vulnerable and the other guy's not up there throwing the rope down. What happened to him? Where are you? You have to learn to trust one another. And men have to do that in order to do some of these dangerous things that men are often asked to do. And so it's the same way with these lords. You know, he says, you charge in there and then we'll flank them and come around this way. They got to know you're going to be there. And it's the same in the kingdom, which is why you're supposed to gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So if you gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, the first group of ten that you know is your congregation. And one of the things you're going to want to see is that, you know, if you're so far apart, they have to call in. They're going to want to see you call in. Uh, if if you guys decide to do something together, they're going to want to see who shows up and who shows up first. We're so spread out. That's difficult to tell. But that doesn't come with reading your catechism. That comes with showing up for your neighbor, being there for your neighbor. You've got to do that so that you develop that trust. Now, developing that trust doesn't mean that they're going to say everything you want to say. If you ask them for advice, like, what should I do about this? Or what should I do about that? They may tell you to do something you don't want to do. You don't have to do it. They're not going to exercise authority. You ask them for their opinion, they gave you their honest opinion. And we've talked about this in the last couple of weeks, boards of directors and, and, uh, these councils that get together and are in charge of hospitals or in charge of school systems. They have to be willing to speak up even if they give offense. We talked a lot about offending people this morning. That's important because you want somebody who tells you the truth of what he is thinking. At least you know where he is at. It may not be what you want to do. You don't have to do it. He's not exercising authority. But he should be allowed to speak his mind. And you should be allowed to speak your mind. And make choices for you and your family. 
But if you won't associate with him because he's honest with you, uh, that may be a problem for you. Because you may end up with guys who are not honest with you. If you only want guys to say what you want to hear, you're going to end up with guys who are going to say what you want to hear, but they may not tell you the truth. So it's very important. So in those days, they knew this. They were down where the rubber meets the road. And so he'd given this oath, stupid thing to do, but it it will play out for a purpose. It will create all kinds of guilt. And, and we already see this as we look back up because he's already put John the Baptist to death when he hears about Jesus. And he thinks that Jesus is John the Baptist's return because he thought that John the Baptist was a holy man. And he thinks that somehow he's come back now with these abilities to do miracles. He's a little shook up about this. But how that came about that John the Baptist died, now we're we're getting that from Matthew. And this is going to play into the psychology of Herod Antipas. Herod the Tetrarch. And also we point out here, it's not always, it seems to be this way in the other Gospels, but he specifically said she was previously instructed by her mother to give an answer, which really caught Herod off guard. And the, the king was sorry, nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat he commanded it to be given her. And he sent and beheaded John in prison. And his head was brought in on a charger and given to the damsel. And she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. And that's pretty much what we hear uh, although, it's, again, we see Matthew covering the same ground in that Mark is going to cover, but he words it different. He says things a little bit different. Sometimes he doesn't add as much. Sometimes he does. And this is going to be important when we get to the word Doron, because he's going to use that word, which Mark used and said was the same as, that is to say, Corban, Corban, Doron. Same thing. So it gives us an idea what the Corbin is. Because Corbin is one of those misunderstood words, uh, or poorly understood words. Because we we see it twice in the New Testament. Once it's not really, it's transliterated as Corbin. And the other time, it's translated as treasury. And so, but that can give us insight. But we have to also know that Corbin is the same as Doron, is the Greek word Doron. And Mark tells us that. So we're letting the Bible interpret the Bible. Everybody likes to do that. So there you go. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot. Out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. Because there were, in this multitude, there were people who had 
health problems, issues, physical problems. Now, when he's doing this, and of course, now we've already heard several stories where he healed people, but he also cast out a demon, and then their ailment was also cured. He dealt with something in the inner part of their soul that was in there that was causing a blockage so that they maybe couldn't see, maybe they had palsy or whatever. But when he dealt with that evil influence that was dwelling in them, that that spiritual blockage, that trauma that allowed a dark place in their own heart from which evil could operate in them, causing them a physical ailment, they were healed instantaneous and, and we'll we'll drop little hints now and then and we've already we've done whole programs on how this healing takes place and it isn't something you can just learn it isn't like a skill i can go and study allopathic medicine and learn how to heal people no it even christ said two things are required the presence of the holy spirit and the faith of the individual and exactly how that works, and I just made that reference. What does that mean? What does that look like? What does that look like in you? Do you need healing? What, what What's going on? So anyway, we'll bring these to attention, but you're not going to get the power to heal simply by intellectually eating from the tree of knowledge. You have to admit God is Lord in your heart, in your mind. You can't even do that all the way until you deal with the dark places in your heart, your mind which are in there because of lack of forgiveness, which is why Christ points out that you have to forgive. And because of selfishness, so you have to give. And lack of giving, you're not going to pick up life more abundant if you don't give. Christ very clear that he lays down his life so that he can pick up life more abundant. Same goes for you. If you want healing, you have to let go of something. You have to sacrifice something. Not that your sacrifice is going to earn it, but if you don't sacrifice, when you sacrifice, when you forgive, when you when you bless others, when you care about others, take the time to care about others. That helps remove that blockage that is keeping the Holy Spirit away from you. But there's another thing that blocks the Holy Spirit is the fact that you don't want to see the darkness that's in you, the unforgiveness that's in you, the selfishness in you. You want to think you're saved. And you're not all that saved. Now, God wants you saved. Christ came that everybody might be saved. But saying, Lord, Lord, is not enough. You know, and and we'll get into that when we deal with the, the guys I was talking about. So, anyway, we see that, you know, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been killed he left town and he took his apostles with him because you you know there could be lots of reasons why he did that but he was led to do it but the reality is is that the pharisees are looking for a way to destroy jesus and they weren't real fond of john the baptist either and it doesn't say it here in this text but it's very possible that if he didn't get out of town Pharisees might try something. Now, he didn't leave town because he was afraid, but because maybe he knew that we need to, you know, maybe he was protecting the apostles. Maybe he was removing temptation from the Pharisees 
that might try to do something rotten. But we know that even when Jesus talks about going back to Jerusalem, the apostles are worried because they know there's these guys. They've been around for a long time. Zacharias. You know, the, uh, the, you know all these children that were killed supposedly to keep the king from being... That story is not unique to the story of Bethlehem. In ancient texts that talk about Abraham when he was a baby. Uh, there was a, a similar bugarump where they went out and tried to kill because they got the prophecy that somebody who was going to lead the people back to the ways of God was being born and they wanted to kill him. And so accordingly, Abraham was taken by his mother to a cave and hid out. Well, John the Baptist, according to the other Gospels that I've talked about earlier, were, were, was taken by his mother Elizabeth to a cave when Zechariah was killed. And then evidently went to Parthia. And then came back with the knowledge of the priesthood that was in Parthia. And, you know, one of the things I came across some uh, ancient literature talking about uh, Pythagoras. I've always known that Pythagoras was attributed uh, as one of the earlier spokesmen that Essenes had looked to, that his teachings were part of the way in which the Essenes looked at stuff. But I also came across documents that points out that Pythagoras was reading Moses, Genesis, Exodus. Uh, that he was using this as a guide. And I think he probably had a better understanding of Moses than many of the modern churches today. And uh, it, not only Pythagoras, but Plato, Aristotle, they knew who Moses was. It's very clear by ancient text that the Etruscans were aware of Moses. And the early Romans were aware of Moses and his teachings. Alexander the Great revered Israel and actually knelt down at the presence of the Levites when he went through that area because there was something special about Israel. Now, I mean, there's a Israel in the news all the time. But what was special about Israel to people like Pythagoras and Plato and Aristotle and to these people that we would normally consider to be pagans, but knew of Moses, was the fact that he had a system of social welfare that was entirely operating by faith, hope, and charity, free will offerings. And Moses was teaching the people pure religion. That they, they had the statutes of Moses, which are the judgments of Moses, which was the precedent kickstarting the judicial system of Israel, which was dependent upon the people in congregations of tens, hundreds, and thousands. Basically, what they were creating were common law juries, deciding fact and law, based on the leading of the spirit that was in them. And the reason that spirit was within them and guiding them is because they were living by faith, hope, and charity. If they stopped living by faith, hope, and charity, they would stop living according to the way of God, and they would begin to generate and turn away from God. 
And of course, that's why when once they started doing that, then when they had this problem with corruption creeping into their system, their network, where judges were blind eye to criminal activity, where priests were confiscating funds for their own benefit and wealth, instead of removing them, according to the way that we've explained in previous shows, they said, well, let's, let's elect a king. And he'll, he'll sort all this out. We won't have to mess with it. He'll sort all this. You know, I mean, that Saul guy, he's a pretty good guy. He's always defending the weak and saving us and, you know, already. So let's just make him king. Except we, we very clearly, if you look at the story of, of Saul, he was corrupted by the power that they gave him. He was afraid he was going to lose it. He was willing to try to kill David. You know? And, and of course, he started forcing a sacrifice. Because he, he became corrupt. Corrupted by the power that the people gave him because they didn't want to stay grassroots like Moses had taught them. And, of course, this is what's happened all over the world. In every country. The people have grown weaker and weaker and weaker. And now Jesus was coming back and John the Baptist was coming back and he says, no, don't go to the government for your welfare. Don't go to Herod and the Corbin of the Pharisees. If if your neighbor doesn't have a coat and you got two, share. If your neighbor doesn't have enough food and you have extra, share. Well, of course, they were already organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So they knew how to do that. I mean, they could get better and better at it, but they knew how to do it. But that's what they were doing. And the people today, they think that they're saved because they say they believe in Jesus, but they're not doing what John the Baptist said. They're not doing what Moses said. They say they are Jews. But they're not really Jews. According to Moses, according to Jesus, I mean, if, you know, there's a lot of people out there claiming to be Jews, and some of them, I'm sure, are operating in faith, hope, and charity. But a lot of them are absolutely 100% dependent upon legal charity, where men like the governments of the Gentiles are exercising authority one over the other. And when that happens, you're, because your leaders think that's okay, and then the people think that's okay, what you got is the blind leading the blind, where neither the leaders are faithful to Moses or God, nor are the people faithful to Moses or God. So, I mean, you can still call them Jews, but they're Jews like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're not Jews like what Moses was raising up. And, of course, people have gone back to that over time and time again. And, uh, you know, and I think they should have every right to make that choice. But I have every right to tell them that if you make that choice, the day of wrath is coming. And you're going to suffer for that choice. It's built in. I don't want you to suffer. I want you to be saved. I want all the Jews in Israel to be saved. I want all the Christians in Israel to be saved. I even want all the people in Palestine to be saved. But you know, one of the biggest problems with Palestine, they're just as blind as anybody. One of the biggest problems in Palestine is that is a total welfare state, far more a welfare state than even the nation over there called Israel. But then most people in America won't see that because they're a welfare state too. 
but more so in the Gaza Strip, more so. Because, I mean, you know, the more they're persecuted, the more funds they get from all over the world. And if they had just buckled down, forgave Israel for whatever injustices it did, and you know, and and followed the way of righteousness, they could have made that Gaza Strip extremely well off. Just like you see in several other places, you know, around the world, these small little places that there's a city and they become a trading center. I mean, they had the coast there. They could have developed harbors and everything there. Actually, they're they're right in line to put in a second Suez Canal. There's actually plans to put in a second Suez Canal that comes right through Gaza. And they would be at the headwaters of it. And, uh, you know, but they're, they're not reliable uh, the, because they've been turned into a welfare state. And so they're making a mess out of everything. So this is, of course, what was happening in Judea at that time, because the Corban of the Pharisees is a welfare state. And, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were all a part of that system. And it was making the word of God did not affect. And Jesus came along and John the Baptist came along and said, oh, no, let's do this the way we were supposed to do it all along. And that's what I'm coming along saying. So, and when it was evening, his disciples uh, came to him saying, this is a desert place and the time is now past and send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, they need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. And there's a different word there, blessed. Uh, which is probably the word that means consecrated, and broke them and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. It didn't say the disciples ate first or that Jesus ate first. They took all the food they had and they gave it to the people. Now, what has Jesus been talking about all this time? What has John the Baptist been talking about all this time? Charity. And now everybody's going to eat of these, you know, five loaves and two fishes. Now, they make us believe, they tell us, that this just appeared out of thin air. There is no explanation. I mean, like, okay, you got 12 apostles at least. There might be as many as 70 guys there or more. And they're taking these few loaves of bread. Now, they're probably pretty big loaves, but they're breaking them up and they're going around and distributing them. And there's a lot of people there. And everybody gets enough to eat and there's actually all kinds left over. Where did all this extra food come from? Well, they would have you to believe that it just, you know, like 
you know, like you see in the movies that they reach into the basket and they say, oh, this is all there is. And then people are saying, no, there's more in here. Well, if you only have five loaves and two fishes, you don't even need a basket. If you had 12 apostles or 50 guys to distribute it to all these people, you don't need a basket. So are they... Are they saying, like, you know, they explained to us about manna would just be appearing on the ground and on branches and stuff every morning. But now chunks of bread are disappearing in people's hands and they're handing it out and fish are bare. They don't even make mention of that. They just said they took all that they had, even though they were also hungry, and Jesus was hungry, been talking all day. And they gave it away after he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. Then he took these few little, and so they're all seeing. Now they've all got together and they all sat down. Now one of the things I want to point out here, now, I mean, you can draw your own conclusion. And of course, most people are going to believe that the food just appeared out of thin air. And that's very possible. God could do that. It can just make the food appear out of thin air. Kind of like FEMA. <laughs> no, we know where the FEMA, when it's distributing food and water and stuff, it didn't appear out of thin air. They taxed your neighbor and they forced your neighbor to contribute or they borrowed money against the future of your children and they filled up a bunch of semi-trucks and then they brought that to the site where it needed to be used. It didn't appear out of thin air. A lot of people think, you know, like I get my welfare check, I get my Social Security check, like it's just coming from the government. So it's like out of thin air. No, it comes from taking away from somebody else. But Jesus didn't send his apostles out to go and take food away from anybody who might have extra. And some people must have brought food. You know, there were guys, I mean, people would get around in those days. There wasn't a 7-Eleven at every corner. So if somebody says, I'm going to follow that Jesus. He's taking his boat and he's going way over there out to the desert place. I'm going to follow him. Okay, well, here, take a bunch of bread along with you. I don't know how long you're going to be. That's a long walk. And so they went. Now they're out there. And some people maybe brought two loaves. Some maybe brought ten loaves. Some may have come with a, a wagon. Or maybe they told their servants that, you know, like, I'm going out there, bring some food behind me, and I'm following where Jesus goes. And so they go out there and they say, well, did you guys see where Jesus went? He went down that way. You can see all the tracks. And so, okay, well, i got to bring food to my master. So that's got to be going on. There's got to be people bringing some food. And there's got to be people who didn't bring enough food. You know? And so they're all out there. But the apostles are actually a little short on food. Doesn't sound like they got enough. But when Jesus took everything they had, broke it and gave it away, suddenly there was enough for everybody. As a matter of fact, because they were so organized, there was enough that everybody got some. And then when they went around to collect anything that was left over, now they're filling baskets. And now who's going to eat that? Well, the apostles are going to get their fill. 
they saw to it that the people got their fill first. Now, where all that food came from, you can figure it any way you want. But Jesus gave up everything, and then there was extra. And then the extra went to the apostles. And if you study anything about the feast, it tells you right there in the in Moses setting up the feast that when the feast is over, you are not to leave the Levites empty-handed. That's where they get their surplus. On what you brought to the feast and you didn't use, just like in the days of leaving Egypt that you had to invite everybody in to eat this lamb and there could not be anything left over at the end of the day. Now, you made you made a mu- bunch of unleavened bread, but that was for the next day to take with you on the journey. But you had to use up all of the lamb. So, you know, I just think it's amazing that they don't say anything about that that suddenly when they were handing out the food, that food was kind of, every time they reached in the basket, it was full again. They don't say that. They don't talk anything about that. I thought that, you know, that that would be a memorable moment. I would be saying that. <laughs> I would tell you about it. Like, I looked in that basket a minute ago, it was empty. Now I look at it and it's full of bread. How did that happen? They don't say anything about that. It's just that there was enough for everybody. Now, they're all organized. They all sat down. They all spent some time to agree to all sit down in these little groups. And we, we'll see from Mark that they, these groups were ten hundreds and thousands. And one of the things that is different in Matthew, he says that Jesus commanded them to sit down in this tens, hundreds, and thousands. And if I have it right, I'm going to actually take a look over here. And see if I can pull it up. Um, Matthew 15. No, we're in 14. And uh, what was the first number there? Because I, I think I have in my notes, I have something wrong, so I'll probably have to cut this out. But <laughs> so. Uh, It's in verse 19 of 14. So we go to 1914. I probably have it open in the Greek so I could actually look straight at the Greek. But um, according to what my notes are saying, it's, uh, is that the actual right word? Because it's different than what we see in Mark. Ah, yes. I will have to fix that. <laughs> I did not change the number uh, when I was putting that in. That's uh, the price of doing things at midnight. Let's see, that, or maybe I did. No, I have epitasso written there as if that is the word. It is not epitasso. It's a culi, culio is the word that they have there. And, uh, and, what I have written there is epitasso, and epitasso is what Mark uses, but Matthew does not use it in this case. Also, Matthew is saying that he commanded it to the people. Now, there is another case where people are sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, but uh, uh, that's uh, that, that's another situation, and we'll look at that. Uh, when we get to it, but uh, 
I was looking here. Do do I have that? Yeah, I do have the comparisons here on the side panel. And uh, so if I go to, I have quite a few comparisons here showing you the difference between Mark's account. Uh, see, like, for instance, uh, it says in, in verse 9 where he is the king was sorry nevertheless for his oath and it just says sorry and and they and matthew uses the word lupio sorry but when mark is talking about this he says paralipos which is which means exceedingly sorry lipos meaning the lupio that we see but it's exceedingly sorry he evidently and mark he's saying that uh, Herod Antipas is very sorry that he is stuck doing this. He didn't want to do it. I'll give you another example of the same kind of thing. Pontius Pilate thought that he says, look, I will let one guy go and, you know, because this is your one of your feast days and this is a policy that Augustus Caesar had set up where, you know, somebody that was being charged with a crime and was maybe somewhat popular that he would let him go. He would give him a reprieve. You know, like I, w- I would think that would be a great, great thing if they, you know, if, if we got a different re- a president in and they went in there and uh, gave a pardon to all those people who are arrested <laughs> at uh, the insurrection. That would be a great thing. And so it'd make a lot of people happy. Of course, it'd make a lot of people mad. Uh, but if I was president, you know, Chauvin wouldn't be in jail right now. I'd already given him a pardon and uh, called out the National Guard if people tried to riot. <laughs> I'm not running for president because there's no solution there. The solution is in the kingdom. But, uh, but the pilot was upset that they wanted to let... Barabbas go. Barabbas was a murderer, sworn to murder. Barabbas meant, you know, uh, son of the father, Bar Abbas, Bar Abba, son of the father. And his name was actually Jesus, too. And he was claiming to be the Messiah, but he was going to bring in violence. And he was just going to kill all the Pharisees that were bringing in all this corruption, making the word of God to none effect. Jesus wasn't going to do that. So Pontius Pilate thought for sure they're going to want Jesus to go free because he's this man of peace. And they don't want Barabbas to go free because he wants to kill them all. But they voted to let Barabbas go free and to kill Jesus. And Pontius Pilate was sorry about that. He didn't want that to happen. So, but, you know, you, you almost... Well, you have to know the history again, and it helps to know the history, and it helps also to know a little bit about Greek and Hebrew and about the laws at the time and the customs of the time. And, of course, I've gone and done all that studying. I was up at four this morning getting ready so that I could listen to that video so that I could give people the answer. on The video we'll talk about at the end here. But uh, anyway, the uh, the fact is, is that... Uh, Pontius Pilate was terribly disappointed, and I think Herod was terribly disappointed as well that he was caught because he gave his word. And Pontius Pilate gave his word that 
you know, one of these men would go free and you have the right to judge the other one. And they said, crucify Christ. It wasn't Rome that wanted to crucify Christ. Caesar, uh, you know, I mean, Pontius Pilate wanted to let Jesus go. And the only way he could get back at the Pharisees was to write that official document that said Jesus Christ is king. And he wouldn't retract it because he thought Jesus was the rightful king. There are stories, ancient stories, not in the biblical text, that talk about after the resurrection of Christ, that Pontius Pilate took a, a bunch of guards and he walked through the city streets trying to find Christ because he wanted to talk to him. Wanted to see, is it really him? Has he really risen from the dead? And he did find him. Had a conversation with him. In, in the same ancient documents, it says that Pontius Pilate knew Jesus from years before. He had already met Jesus. He was from Gaul, you have to remember. We've talked about Gaul. What happened to the Gauls? Pontius Pilate was from Gaul. And he was married to the granddaughter, favorite granddaughter of Tiberius Caesar who believed that Christ was a holy man. So there's a lot of drama going on here behind the scenes. But people are distracted by modern day catechisms and philosophies and don't get down to the real nitty gritty of what's going on. So yeah, he commanded, but it's a different word command, and, and, but I do have a link there to the words on commanded. I'll just change that that footnote, but uh, so that it shows up the right one. When I, I went down to look at it when we were here, I said, that isn't the right word. That isn't the word that's Because <laughs> I, I, I copied and pasted in the code, but I didn't get back and change in the actual Strong's number because it should be 2753, and I think I've got 2004 there, and that is just not correct. So anyway, so we'll go back. He fed the 5,000, and he had commanded them to sit down, the people. See, in Mark, he doesn't command the people to sit down. He commands his disciples to make the people sit down, and he uses, it says commanded, in the English text, just as it says commanded here in verse 19. But it's a different word for commanded, and he's talking to a different group. And so, is Matthew wrong? Well, there's more than one event where they're all supposed to sit down. You know, one place it says they sit down on the grass, and that's what they say here. But in the other incidents, and in the Mark incidents, they sit down on a certain color grass. And in the other instance, they sit down on the dirt. They're not sitting down on the grass, on the earth. So there's slight differences. And that we have to stay focused on the message because that's what we're trying to get. And not so much the details of the story, but sometimes in looking at the details of the story, we'll get a clearer picture. Because they all sat down, the disciples... Uh, the loaves of his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. So that it, that's how they distributed. And they did eat and everybody got filled and then they took up what was left over, the remnant of what was left over. And there was more than 12 basketfuls left over. So 
like if they hadn't done this, what would have happened? So, you know, and, and of course, like I say, people are going to believe what they want to believe, and I don't want to argue the point. I'm just looking at the text and what is actually being said with a certain knowledge of human nature. And they that had eaten were about about 5,000 men besides women and children. So now we know in this particular case, 5,000 men and their wives and children. Now, that might, there may not have been 5,000 wives and there may not have been 5,000 children. But uh, I think a lot of people came there that uh, did bring family. Now, here's a thought. These men are bringing their wives and their children out to the desert, long ways, following Jesus, and they didn't bring enough bread. <laughs> their kids are all whining and starving and hungry. No, I, I think a lot of people brought enough bread. And a lot of people brought enough food. And they just weren't sharing yet. I mean, that's just my guess. Just based on human nature and the customs of the day, is it was this one of the festivals where they go out into the countryside? I mean, we don't have any dates on this. We don't know the next instant is the same year or a year later at another feast. We don't know. But all these men took their families out there and they had no other bread with them. But it looked like some people were going to go hungry. Certainly the apostles were. But Christ took all that they had and they gave it away. And the people know this. How long does it take 5,000 men and their families to sit down, and if we believe Mark, they're sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Matthew doesn't really explain that here. But we know at that time, synagogues were groups of ten men and their families. That, that's just historically, we know that's the case. So that's not unusual to do that. And these are all Jews. And they they... Many of them are probably all in the same congregations, but they're going out together. They didn't go out alone. They went out with their, you know, maybe four or five of their congregation. And if it was one of the festivals, almost everybody was going out there. And so, but uh, people are being so selfish. Some people are going to go hungry. And certainly the apostles and Jesus didn't have enough to feed them. And suddenly they did. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. To get people to share like that. I, I, uh, I'm i going to share with the ministers. I haven't got around to doing it yet. Uh, hopefully I'll, I'll get it sent to them. We have had these discussions. That ho- rural hospitals all over the country, maybe 30% of them, are closing their doors. Many of them already closed their doors. They're bankrupt. COVID destroyed them. Now, there was a lot of them having trouble to begin with before COVID, but now they've destroyed them. Hospital here in this county is in dire trouble. And they've already emptied out their convalescent care and their assisted living care. 
and the, the buildings are just sitting empty. And they can heat them with geothermal. They, they're all equipped. They have all the beds. They have all the equipment in. They're just sitting empty. I could I could mustered enough guys to start taking care of people there, but I don't have the money to do it. God would have to bust me. Where's those loads of fishes when you need them? <laughs> Where are the people willing to share? Share till it hurts. Because now everybody doesn't have as much bread because they've taken up all the surplus. There was a lot of surplus. Well, that was amazing. But it was giving that people were learning. I tell you, that's the miracle. Especially after years and years of the Corbin of the Pharisees, which had been around a long time by then. I mean, Herod was in power for at least 25 years. I can't remember exactly how many. And he's been dead for 25 years. So it's been 50 years since the Corbin of the Pharisees was instituted. But thus, it's been uh, 60, 70, 80, almost 80 years, going on 90 years since they instituted the Corbin of FDR. Wow. We're really out of practice. <laughs> so anyway... But anyway, those are the possibilities. So Jesus walks on the water. Verse 22. And straight away, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. The multitudes, plural. All these different groups. He sent them away. They all went back home. And the apostles got in a ship. But, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. What, what are they seeing? This, out there in the water, fourth watch of the night storm, that's dark. I've been at sea in a very small boat when the winds were thrashing about. That can get scary, <laughs> depending on the boat. And that boat, that could get scary. But if I saw somebody walking on the water, of course, now I know a little bit about Jesus. I might not be quite so afraid, but uh, it was scaring them. So in verse 27, it says, But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. A little gutsy, that Peter. And he said, now we're calling him Peter there, but he did, he, they, they didn't call him Peter at that time. They were still calling him Simon. And he said, come. Jesus said, come to Peter. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, Jesus is probably not real far away. 
because they can see him. And maybe he's going. That doesn't really say that, but uh, they can hear him over the wind. So he's not like, you know, 500 yards out. He's right there. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, referring to Peter. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they were in the ship, came and worshipped him. They served Jesus, saying, oh, uh, uh, saying, of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Now are they, what do they mean, the Son of God? Again, I'm going to put a link in there. Who else is called the Son of God at this time? Tiberius is called the Son of God. Before him, Augustus Caesar was called the Son of God. Because they were the head of the welfare system of Rome. They were the overseer of the welfare system of Rome. Which is like Saul, you know, he was the overseer of the system of welfare, which is what was used to bind the people of Israel together, their system of altars bound the hearts and minds of the people together so that they would stay together and defend one another. They just wouldn't defend one another sufficiently for internal corruption. They let the internal corruption go because, ah, they're too busy. And, of course, it's going to be one of the big problems. Jesus trying to get people who think they're too busy to set aside time to attend to what? The weightier matters. What, what are the weightier matters? You know, everybody listening, does everybody know what the weightier matters are? Uh, maybe somebody will type it into the chat room. <laughs> uh, I'm looking here to see if anybody's raised their hand. If anybody's called in at the number 319-527-6208, 319-527-6208, uh, you just press 1 and I'll see your hand raised and I, you can ask a question or you can go into the chat room. And ask a question there. I don't see anybody else asking any questions. Okay. So anyway, we've got this. Uh, this, uh, this this idea of the Son of God, because you know they expected Herod, uh, they expected Saul to actually defend them against the Philistines and that, but also to deal with. It wasn't he wasn't elected just to their battles out there against the Philistines. But it was because there was corruption amongst the priests. And therefore, if it was amongst the priests, it was also corruption amongst their appeals courts. And that they could that there was a way to remove them from the grassroots up, but everybody has to work together, which of course creates better bonds in your society. Ah, but they were too busy to do that. They just want, Saul, you do it for us. And of course, that was opening the door. Yeah, and it was 
and the reason they were even thinking that way is they were already rejecting the ways of God. What are the ways of God taking care of everything? You know, internal corruption, external corruption through faith, hope, and charity. Because your charitable system of ministers of charity, where each hierarchy of minister wasn't about archy, it wasn't about exercising authority, it was about exercising service and making sure that the weightier matters are attended to through this charitable system. Can you imagine? Those of you who are maybe new listeners and don't know how those charitable systems work, you can look up the Cities of Refuge. Uh, you can look up the tens, hundreds of thousands, tens, and, and find out how Israel was working. And this is what Christ was setting up again, which we see in Mark, Mark 6 and 7, when they're they're dealing with some of these same issues. So, and let's go through verse 34. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Genesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all the country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touch were made perfectly whole. And I told you a little bit about that this morning, how that became a problem with other men that had this same power. What's going on? You know, when Jesus was touched by the lady who had this bleeding issue for years and years, it says he felt the virtue go out of him. There's an actual energy that comes out of Christ and heals the other people. But Christ tells us that that only works, generally speaking, when the people are receptive, when they have the faith to receive that energy. So you have to have this kind of like positive negative <laughs> You have to have the contact. You know, your contacts have to be clean so that that energy can come from Christ into you. And you don't have to actually touch his garment or touch him, but you have to have faith. And then, again, some of that faith, some, often our faith, because what was the first guy that was got his son healed by Jesus? And Jesus asked him, do you believe? And the guy answered, yes, Lord, I believe, but I need help with my unbelief. So you can have a certain amount of unbelief at the same time you have belief. You can love the light, but you don't yet love all the light because that's the part that has the unbelief, which is, of course, absolutely makes sense because Christ said to repent, think differently, and seek the kingdom, persevere in that seeking of the kingdom, strive in the seeking of that kingdom, because it's a process where you you receive a little light, you accept it, you act upon that light, and then you you pray that you receive more light, more understanding, and you're perfected in the journey. This is absolutely essential. So, they they wanted to be made whole, but they were looking to make their bodies whole. But they needed more than just their bodies becoming whole. 
They needed their souls accepting the light and becoming whole. So anyway, we've got to that chapter. I can go through the side panel. There's actually quite a bit of side panel there uh, that I've put in. I could actually put a different picture in and shorten it up so it didn't go down so far on the page. But, uh, you know, back to this idea of Herod the Great, uh, which is this Herod Antipas, who is the son of Herod the Great. And uh, Herod the Great had a number of wives. Malthus was one of them. And when they became tetrarchs, of, he became the tetrarch of Galilee and uh, Peria, which is not a very big area. But anyway, the, uh, he had a brother, Philip, who was also tetrarch, has to do with three. His brother, Philip, was in charge of another area. And there was another brother. But Herod had had him executed before Herod died, and nobody else was appointed to that other area. Well, what area was that? Well, it was the area containing Jerusalem. So the kingdom was already divided in three parts because Herod had divided it in three parts. One of them was held by Herod Antipas, this Herod the Tetrarch. And the other one was held by Philip. And uh, anyway, so uh, he had married this uh, Aretas, who uh, was the daughter of the king of Arabia, whom he divorced in order to marry Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, who was still alive. And Aretas, to revenge the affront, which Herod had offered his daughter, declared war against him and vanquished him after an obstinate engagement. This defeat, Josephus assures us, the Jews considered as a punishment for the death of John the Baptist, having gone to Rome to solicit the title of king he was accused of Agrippa of carrying on a correspondence with Artabanus, king of Parthia, against the Romans, and therefore was also banished by the emperor Caius to Lyons, which is, you know, uh, eventually he ended up in Spain. So he was banished altogether from Judea, couldn't go anywhere near Judea. And uh, he and Herodias died in exile. They also, uh, Herodias had a daughter by Philip, but there was another daughter, supposedly. And this is in this extra documents. And uh, she was just the apple of of uh, his eye, you know, of, of Herod Antipas's eye. She, she could do no wrong. And she was like four or five years old. I think some she was walking and uh, there was a winter there was a real hard freeze which is very rare for that area and there was a little pond out there pretty shallow pond and it formed ice over it and, and a person couldn't walk on it it wasn't that thick of ice but the baby walked out on the ice and it fell through and the servants ran out to save the baby and when they did this, they, they stepped on the ice and they started moving the ice and started breaking through the ice, of course, immediately. But the ice shifted and slid across the ice that was already there. 
And supposedly the ice was so sharp it severed the head. I don't know if it was a complete severing, but it it theoretically beheaded her and she died. And supposedly Herod was mourning for years and years for this and he blamed himself because he thought that the death of his daughter was due to the fact that he had had John the Baptist beheaded. But there's some other story. Now, that's just an anecdote. I can't say that it's true. I can say that it was written in very ancient documents. And there is a certain possibility that it's true. But I, I pointed out that some people thought that the fact that he was exiled was because of the fact that he had beheaded John the Baptist. But the fact that he was exiled was because he didn't have the right to be king. He, when he was going back to try to become the king and probably did deal with Parthia because, like I said, Jesus was the legitimate king of Parthia. I'll give you another. Malthase, uh, uh, and, and you could say it a number of different ways, uh, depending on the spelling. We're looking at the English spelling here. That's why when we look at Herodias, in the English spelling, it's pronounced Herodias, but it isn't always pronounced that way. I started out pronouncing it the way you would see it written in other languages, but uh, that's my dyslexia. But anyway, there there was a, another story about Malthus. She knew that the king of Jerusalem, the Messiah that they were hoping for, king and high priest, and by king and high priest, they meant son of God. Because at that time, the the term "son of God" in the Greek, and in, you know, in reference to Rome, was the high priest. He was the overseer of all the priests. He was the one who could fire the porters of the temple in Rome, and the same would be true in Jerusalem. And so they're thinking that you know they're putting it together that this is who a lot of people are starting to suspect. Uh, but even even John the Baptist didn't know that Jesus was this king and high priest, and he had to send his men there to say, you know, is are you the one? But they're starting to figure it out. So, and, and there's still this issue with Parthia, that they're thinking that, that Herod is out there negotiating with Parthians, or Parthia, uh, which would be the empire of Parthia. It wasn't really an empire at that time. It was kind of a loose empire. It would later become pretty much the Parthian empire. And, of course, by that time, you would have Trajan coming up, and Trajan would defeat the armies of the Parthian empire. Didn't defeat all the Parthia people, but he defeated the emperor's armies. And see, that was a mistake. You see, but they were in Parthia. They were dealing with the same issues that Jesus was bringing and John the Baptist was bringing. If you're trying to create an empire and everybody's going under the authority of the emperor, and you, you're you're letting him be the son of God, the head of your social welfare system, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, then you will actually become more vulnerable because your army will all be mercenaries. They won't fight as hard. You won't have the camaraderie amongst all the people. You won't have the sharing that is necessary when you're attacked by a foreign army, you know, like uh, the United States is going to suffer. 
it's going to be attacked by a foreign army. Of course, it's already being attacked internally. And, and it's for years and years, it's been degenerating. The American people have been degenerating. They have no real recollection of how important the bonds, the social bonds of society were in order to succeed in, in, in the battles that they succeeded in. And that's why I tell you about the battles, you know, that many of the battles, early American revolutionary battles, nobody died in. And nobody died from gunfire. They didn't kill any of the enemy. No, I mean, there were some that a lot of people died in. But it wasn't, it was really a strange war. Mostly it was about standing your ground and holding a position as if you cared about others. And they suffered at Valley Forge because they couldn't get the food and their accommodations were so poor. And some of the ideas for accommodations were really poor. Knowing what I know now, I would have had them building different accommodations. <laughs> but, you know, they only had a limited amount of time and limited amount of food and people were out. My great-great-great-great-grandfather was one of the procurement officers for the Virginia Regiment during Valley Forge. He was out there trying to get food supplies into the people, which was not easy because they had no way of forcing those food supplies. They had to be freely given. There was no way to go out and tax everybody. There was no way to go out and borrow money from the Federal Reserve. The people had to protect. And there was only about a third of the people in America that really were supportive of the American Revolution. There was a lot of people who didn't support it. But eventually, then began, the more the atrocities came, the more people came together. The more people sacrificed and invested in this American Revolution, the more people would also invest in the American Revolution. Well, Christ is bringing a revolution. And he's trying to get the people not to sit on welfare while I send you bread from heaven. He wants you to invest in one another. And he's going to talk about this when he talks about the treasuries. Because there's two different words that are translated treasury in the New Testament. And he's talking about one, you don't want to have that kind because thieves and robbers can break in, moths will eat it up. But there's another treasure in the kingdom of God. And so how do you invest in that kingdom of God? And, and it still requires an investment. It requires a sacrifice. But it's very clear that Christ isn't going to force taxation on people to fill the treasury of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God isn't the kind of treasury where you've got all your gold in one place like you did with the golden calf or with Fort Knox. That isn't the way... Christ did it in the way Moses did it. It's the way you guys have been doing it. So you have no more just weights and measures. And so I haven't, did you catch what the weightier matters are? Law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Did you catch that? Well, a lot of people didn't catch that. But anyway, so we're through that. And I could go back, like I say, I've got some compare notes there. I see that I've got a few typos in there. Uh, Matthew fourteen nineteen, where it says commanded. I don't know if I've got the right word there. Let's see. No, I do have the right word there. <laughs> okay. So I just have to change that over there on the other 19. I didn't change it in both places. So 
but uh, I have I'm missing a carrot there, so I'll fix all that and cut all this out. So this other thing that we were going to talk about, let's see if anybody, has anybody that's there in the chat room figured out what these other things that we were going to talk about? Uh, Justice, mercy, and faith. Oh, they did know the weightier matters. Uh, okay. Uh, any hands up? No hands up. Okay. So this other thing, I have added a bunch of notes to a page if I can find the page here, it's Guru Theories. And uh, I changed that page around a little bit. And, uh, you know, I mentioned enough, uh, a number of people there, and I even have a list of people that you, you know, that had all these solutions. But, you know, the major thing about there in the right-hand corner is uh, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into a ditch. So that's in. Oh, that can't be right. Oh, yeah, yeah that's in Matthew fifteen fourteen, and uh, which we'll do next time. So this could be a kind of a prelude to that. But uh, there's a lot of blind people out there telling people what's what and what to do and how to do it, and they really shouldn't be doing it. And but they're going to be doing it, and we have to let them do it. But we can be outspoken. And if you have a congregation full of people that are allowed to speak their minds without dividing the congregation, and people say, well, he said something I didn't like, so I'm not going to meet it with him anymore. No, you, if you do that, you will only be meeting with people that will only tell you what you want to hear. And you do not want to do that. You want to allow other people to have their opinions. And you go home and you think about it and you come back with a better answer. And that's absolutely essential in order to build the kind of relationships that you're going to need in order to have these viable congregations. So I have lots of headings like uh, the Crown Templar. That's one of these things. And some of these things these people espouse are true. It's what they leave out or how they mix and match and how they take arguments too far and how they think, well, because I did this, this has happened. And, yeah, you know, it doesn't pan out. But are they willing to have the conversation? I'm willing to have the conversation. But land patents, and I've told lots of stories on that. There must be four hours, five hours of recordings on that page. Yeah. Yeah, I don't don't even know what these are, but there's a number of... uh, Oh, is that an archives? I don't know what that is. But, uh, yeah, there's quite a few hours. And then with Kevin Craig, I have some discussions with him. Uh, one hour there, two hour, Kevin Craig, 30 minutes with Kevin Craig. Uh, the Beloved Anarchist, I got 30 minutes on that. So there's lots of different deals there. So, anyway, the uh, Crown Templars and Bar, British... Uh, I forgot what it is, registry, British something registry. <laughs> Do I have that on there? Larry Beecraft, I knew Larry. And he was right about a lot of things, but he's not right about everything. I'm sure I'm not right about everything, but I'm willing to have that, like I say, the conversation. And But you can't hopscotch through rational thinking. Uh, everything has to fit. And if you're seeking the ways of God, they have to fit with the ways of God. Ben Williams, yeah, he's been here. Uh, I never got to his place in Idaho. 
I think I met him once in Idaho, but I met him in a couple of places. But like I said, he's been here. Now, I don't even know if Ben is still alive, but he wrote a lot of stuff. I may have a page up. I should look and see if I can make that an active link. And, of course, Paul Revere and the Embassy of Heaven Church, that's what these guys are doing with their, uh, what did they call it? Uh, I'll get the letters wrong if I don't. Uh, I thought it would just jump out at me. I haven't reread this since I wrote it. I wrote it just before. <laughs> oh, C2K report. And uh, they had an audio on Rumble, and I saw another one. You can actually look or see C2K report, and you'll find it. C2K can mean a number of other things. So anyway, I, I looked at the video, and... You know, so I changed this one he heading here, the hyphenated person, and that talks about James Anthony Robert. And people started doing this, you know, change your name and then you're free. And uh, while I may sympathize with these people's effort, there's, that is not the answer. Absolutely cannot be the answer. Uh, Moses set people free. Jesus set people free. Uh, I had never known a hyphen that set a man free yet. So these are, and, and but there's some logic behind what they say. You know, there is the law of the names and legal notice is important. That's one of the things that kind of pointed out in the uh, this C2K people is that, that once they get all their paperwork together, they just put it away in their house and they don't have to serve this notice to anybody, supposedly. Well, and, and yet they're equating what they're doing with the Declaration of Independence, this, you know, testimony. I'm not going to get all their vocabulary right. But uh, the Declaration of Independence was entirely to put the world on notice. It is right that you put them on notice. You know, I mean, even in India, if you're a single woman, you had to put one mark on your forehead. If you're a married woman, you had to put another. You have to wear a wedding ring in a lot of cultures so that they know, you know, I can't mess with this woman because she's married. But you're saying, no, we can have a secret marriage. <laughs> we're married to Christ, but we're not going to tell anybody. We're not going to show anybody. No. And also, there's, we'll get right into it. I don't have enough time to go into it in great detail, but it's there on the page. It's the Guru Theories page. So uh, I, I switched it around, but I, I pointed out clearly that what we, we've done is that we have become merchandise because, not because of birth registration, although birth registration is part of that evidence, and we, we show you that birth registration was around at the time of Augustus Caesar. It certainly was around at the time of Marcus Aurelius, it was compulsory, and his human rights records of persecuting Christians was because he made it a law that you had to register the, your newborn child within 30 days, and you had to register with the registrar of government because that child was literally going to become collateral for the debt of Rome. Now, they weren't in as bad a shape as you are today. You're way farther down the road. It's going to be far worse for you than it was when Rome collapsed. But uh, th that we explain in the art, uh, on the article and in, in the pamphlet in the chapter of Call No Man Father, you know, that you're making the state your father, which is diminishing your natural father and the place that he plays in the family, which is why the black community is falling all apart. And, and they targeted to take the fathers out of the homes. 
They bribed the mothers to remove the fathers because, you know, your husband, he said something you didn't like. And so you weren't going to put up with him anymore. And you could do that because the government will take his place. (laughs) This is why people aren't married. This is why people don't stay with their husbands or don't stay with their wives. This is because their, their spouse says something they don't like. So I'm not going to have anything to do with them anymore because they said something I don't like. You don't have that option in real life. You have to forgive and you have to work it out. And hopefully you get stronger. It's the same way with congregation. That you have to come together and work it out. Have the conversation. So this guy doesn't like what you say. Is he going to abandon everybody? No. He's not going to do it. I mean, Jesus clearly thought Peter was saying things that he didn't like. Did he abandon Peter? He knew that Peter was going to denounce him. He says, before the cock crows three times, you're going to denounce me. So I'm not going to have anything to do with you anymore. No, he didn't say that. He said, I'm going to pray for you. So if somebody in your congregation says something you don't like, or he's espousing an idea you disagree with, disagree with it. You know, you can take your time, maybe. depends on what it is. And you can go contemplate it. And what you want to do is bring it to light with love and patience. You don't want to abandon and say, oh, I, I want a congregation that only says what I like to hear. Can't do that. So anyway, I've, in the section down here where it talks about the good faith notice of demand, someone on the network commented, uh, though this notice covers all of the points of truth that we are to live by, I see no application or enforcement, which is kind of a strange thing, enforcement. Who's the enforcer? Who enforced the the agreement between Moses and the Pharaoh? Who enforced that? And ultimately, of course, our enforcer is the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ. That's going to be our comforter. If you keep turning up the Holy Spirit in your own life by forgiving and giving and loving one another, the Holy Spirit will be in your congregation and those people who don't love the life light, they will leave. I've seen guys come and go, and I'm thinking like, how can that guy stick around? He is so much a, so much a low life. And I just pray, God, turn up the light in me. <laughs> and eventually they turn around, they're gone. <laughs> that's, that's what you want. So, while it may appear in many, if not all countries, that ministers of the ecclesia or early church established by Jesus the Christ can leave the system of the world if they conform to Christ's directives for a free church. And we have the free church report to show you how that works, which is free online. And come into one accord because that they, they have to do that. They have to conform to Christ and come into one accord. That's not as easy as it is to say. As to do. As he commanded, it is essential that they are born again. And of course, I have an article there because a lot of people think they're born again and they're not. And all you have to do is read a couple more verses and you can say, well, wait a minute. Uh, maybe I'm not born again because I'm still doing unrighteousness. Well, 
you may even think, well, I'm doing righteousness. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. But then it comes to me and say, you know, covetous practices are not righteous. Praying to men who exercise authority and please take a bite out of my neighbor and curse my neighbor's children with debt so that I can have free stuff today. How many guys on the C2K thing are collecting Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid? Now, I'm not saying you can't do that, but you can't be a minister of God, an ordained minister of God and be collecting those things because you're not of the world. You don't have access. You you can't be numbered by the righteous mammon and the unrighteous mammon at the same time. You can't be done, doing that. So you have to give up all you have, including all your right to the benefits of the world, in order to be an ordained minister of Christ. That's very clear. The apostles were unregistered, idiotes. We have articles that explain that. But if you want to accept the simple answer, I mean, the C2K guys got kind of a simple, you know, all you have to do is just, you know, dot a few I's and cross a few T's. Oh, I see another typo. Julius Caesar's not written right. I'll have to fix that. Oh, I don't even have it as a live link. I can make it a live link, too. So I'm putting this note to self, and then I'll cut this part out. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we've written about Jesus said, call no man father. And we explain what the father is and what the conscripted fathers are. And, of course, how you manumit yourself from your natural father and turn the welfare state into your conscripted fathers, your civil fathers. And I have links there on that page that take you to articles that explain this in great detail. And you don't have to sign in to get it. It's right there. It's right there in the open. And there... And how they use birth registration, both Augustus Caesar and Marcus Aurelius, and the laws that they passed in order to use that birth registration in order to subjugate the people. Now, it's not, and of course, there's three parts to that subjugation. Birth registration alone doesn't do it. And you don't have to get your birth certificate back in order to stop it. Any more than, you know, that Moses was telling all the Israelites uh, in Egypt, well, first you need to get a hold of a copy of your birth certificate in Pharaoh's archives, because <laughs> he had archives. <laughs> uh, you, you have to in order to run these big giant welfare systems. But no, that isn't the, what you had to do is start learning to love one another, sacrifice for one another, help one another during hard times. And of course, that's what Jesus is telling with the loaves and fishes. But if you make up stuff that isn't actually in the text, you may not think clearly about what was really the miracle of the loaves and fishes. These men were those benefactors who exercised authority one over the other that Christ said, and I can put another, uh, I have a footnote that I use over and over again that will I should put in there, note to self, one over the other to provide for the dainties of the rulers who exercise authority, the ones that make the masses of the people merchandise. Do what Proverbs, Psalms, and the prophets say is a snare and a trap. David said it. Paul said it. What should have been for your welfare is a snare and a trap. That's why they didn't eat the free bread of Rome. If you think you just changed your birth certificate, but you're still eating the free bread of Rome, 
That's what brought you in. And now they they bring up a, a number of things when they're talking, and I've, I put notes in here. And I, I, if I misquote them or something, I'd be glad to have the conversation. Someone asked me to review that C2K report battle pass authentication on Rumble. I didn't put the link in here because I don't want to promote them until they get things sorted out because I don't want people going astray. Anyway, I've heard this, like I said, I've heard this approach before, and they may be very sincere, but it's not the answer. They seem to be saying that you need to, you know, go get a copy of your birth certificate and then order an authentication of your certified birth record uh, from the state for use in another country. And, and this is the old, you know, I mean, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, Glenn Stoles was doing this same thing. And, of course, he had an actual church structure, and he set it up under a corporation soul, which I disagree with. I have articles up that explain that that isn't the solution. And, you know, I knew all about, you know, Hague Treaty countries and non-Hague Treaty countries. Knew all about that decades ago. But it doesn't deal with what Christ said. Now, of course, these guys think they're doing what Christ said. That Christ has done everything for them, and they're already children of God. But Christ said there's going to be a lot of people that think that I'm a child of God, and that I'm going to have to tell them, no, you're not. I don't even know you. You're a worker of iniquity. And I'm pretty sure the argument that, wait a minute, I got a certified copy of my birth certificate with an apostille on it, so I must be a Christian. No, no. But I said, I, I believe, I said, Lord, Lord, that I believe in Jesus Christ and I accept him in my heart as a personal savior. So I must be the brethren of Christ. But you're not doing the will of Christ. You're not doing the will of the Father. And we can show you that. If you're still engaged in covetous practices, you have need of repentance. And then, they want you to fill out, and this I thought it was funny because as soon as I saw this, I said a, a four one nine four, <laughs> and I, you know, I thought, you know, I haven't fiddled with people in this apostille and certified birth certificate. Now I don't care if you do that stuff, but it doesn't bring you into the kingdom of God, and it doesn't create an ecclesiastical trust because you're you don't you don't have what Christ was setting up yet. I don't see it anywhere in their documentation. We, we show you what that looks like. And you can join the network and we'll, we'll show you a lot more. I mean, I mean it's all out there. But I mean, we'll actually have people guiding you through it so you can understand it. But, you know, I, I, I saw right away this 4194, which is, you know, you're, you're going to make your own statement of authority and belief. Even Christ, when he was asked, are you a king? He didn't say he was. He says, thou sayest that I'm a king. And he says, that, that for this cause I come into the world to bear witness to the truth. But also we know that he came into the world so that the whole world might be saved. Are you, are you filling out your statement of authority and belief so that the whole world might be saved or just so that you can pretend that you're out of the system of Babylon while you still take the benefits of Babylon? Not, not going to work not going to work, you know. And, of course, now they may get into the thing, well, you know, we won't take the mark of the beast. Well, I don't know that you don't have it already. 
But anyway, and we can explain all that in detail. I don't want to pick on them or anything. But the, the answer is repentance. And we have to think differently than we've been thinking. And we show you. Now, I'm throwing out stuff pretty quick here. And somebody can say, well, wait a minute. I had never heard that. Well, okay, that's why we have all kinds of articles to explain it in detail. And if you want to seek the kingdom, you have to be, uh, you have to study to show yourself approved. <laughs> Except for, you know, those who listen regularly know that I know and you know that the word study to show thyself approved in that particular quote is not the word study. It's the word be diligent, which occasionally may include a little bit of study, a little bit of reading, a little bit of looking into the details of what it means to be in the kingdom and seeking the kingdom and following the ways of Christ and following Christ and following what it says in Matthew 6, 33. That you're seeking the kingdom of God. If you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, first, before you even seek the birth certificate. <laughs> but then you got to know what does that look like? The kingdom of God is this system that giveth life. Because Christ is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. Which brings me to my first heads up here, the DS4194. Years ago, when I found the Insurance Portability Act of was it 18, uh, seven, uh, 1989? Is that it? I have to go back and look. Which eventually codified in the U.S. codes under Title 42 as Section 666 that required a Social Security number in order to get anything from the government, any registration from the government. You had to show them your Social Security number. Supposedly, you have to do it to even get a marriage license or anything. They don't always do it because they don't even keep their own rules. But it's on the books supposed to show it in order to get a passport. Some people have gotten a passport without it. They said, well, I got my passport and I never had to show them the number because I did this. I jumped through this hoop and that hoop. But do you know, can I show you in the statute that if you have a passport issued from the United States government, you have waived a right to your labor and you can be enlisted in civilian work projects without pay for an indefinite period of time even if you don't have a Social Security number. <laughs> of course, now, if you have a Social Security number, you're already enlisted, and you already work. You know, like my dad, when I asked him who he worked for, he said, until July 1st, I worked for the government. After that, I worked for myself, because he was in a 50% income tax bracket. And he knew that I'm, I'm not only in the bondage of Egypt, but I have to pay 50% of my wages to Pharaoh, <laughs> not 20%, 50%. And it actually is more than that for almost everybody. You know, if you're paying 20%, you're also paying uh, gasoline tax and property tax and sales tax and all these other taxes. It's far worse for you today than it was for the people that were in the bondage of Egypt, but you are in the bondage of Egypt. So anyway, when I was looking up that 511, 512, 513, I saw it. I was reading every single bill that was put in front of Congress. That's a lot of reading. One, one year I did this. I didn't do it all the time. I was led to do it. And then I, I saw, you know, as people with the dyslexia on the spectrum, like I can say, whatever the spectrum is, I saw patterns in the numbers. And eventually 
I said, well, where are they getting these numbers for the codification of the laws? Well, why are they using this number here and that number there? And you, you can look up the rules and find out. And it's just, well, there's something going on. There's a, somebody's doing something else here. Somebody is playing something else here. And uh, I found out that they're using Strong's numbers for the names of some of these forms. And, and there's a certain pattern. So, you know, I mean, it's not every form is based on a Strong's number. But because the numbers are jumping all over the place, and I think, like, oh, what, were those other numbers here? And then they, those have been canceled? No, no, they're just picking these numbers out of the blue. And so I, when I saw that number, I said, I know that number. So I looked up that number. <laughs> 4194, that's a name for Pontius Pilate. Pontius is 4194 in the Greek text. And, uh, and, and it's more than that. Uh, so it, it's, it's clearly in the Latin, Pontius means of the sea. So you're asking for a form that's numbered Pontius and means of the sea. You're going to fill that out. So are you in the law of the sea? <laughs> that's just a strike. Now, none of this is, means any power to me. I, I, don't, I don't believe by the numbers. That's the game that they play. I'm just showing you that they know about that form. That they've known about it for decades and decades. They picked the number for that form. It's fine with them and the devil that you fill out that form. Because you're not going to end up down on the shores of the Red Sea with God between you. Now, you can't, could, but you're going to have to learn the whole gospel. And not just this limited gospel of, yeah, I believe, so I'm saved. That I feel born again, so I am born again. Because it tells you right there that when it talks about being born again, that if you're still doing certain things, you're not born again. And we fill in all those things, those criteria that Christ was pointing to, James was pointing to, Paul was pointing to. They said, well, the old law was done away with. No, the old law of the Pharisees was done away with. And Christians didn't have to keep the law of the Pharisees anymore. Jewish Christians didn't have to keep the law of the Pharisees. Of course, the Roman Christians didn't have to keep the law of the Pharisees anyway. But if they were a part of the Temple of Roma or part of the Temple of uh, Jupiter, because there was freedom of religion at this particular time in Christianity. And Pontius Pilate, had said, Jesus Christ is king. And and Paul even took this to Agrippa and Festus, that they were a legitimate religion. So just like you could be a Roman and be a part of the Temple of Roma that was set up by Herod, you could be a Roman and be a part of the Judaic Temple, or you could be a Jew and a part of the Parthenos, or the Temple of Jupiter, or the Temple of Ephesus. All of those temples were welfare systems that took care of the needy of society. They were like social welfare insurance. Some of them, like Ephesus, was not only social welfare system for the people of Ephesus, it was a social welfare system for 127 different countries in a treaty much like the Hague. <laughs> maybe, maybe more than like the Hague. 
because they were the underwriters for the social welfare system of all these other countries. And so, anyway, once you understand that, then you start seeing what the conflict between, you know, the Christian conflict. I should put a link in there so you can see what the Christian conflict is. So, anyway, but if, if you're going if you, if to put blinders on and you're going to keep following the blind, you don't see the whole gospel, it's right there. It's right in front of you. If you're not going to see it, that the early Christians were taking care of all the social welfare for Christians. All of it. They were doing it through faith, hope, and charity. The Rome and the Temple of Jupiter were using force, fear, and fealty. Herod had instituted that with his system of Corbin with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Peter and some of the other apostles were idiotas. They were unregistered. They weren't unlearned. They were unregistered. You go look up. We're Christians idiots. Go look that article up at Preparing You. We explain what those words. We show you. We're using your concordances. I can see that there's a, a link in here that I didn't get quite right. It's showing up red. What did I write in there wrong? But anyway, well, I'll get that all sorted out sometime around midnight. <laughs> So, anyway, uh, but in the Hebrew, I looked it up in the Hebrew, 4194, and you get a word there. As a noun, it's Mimbab Tav. Well, everybody knows Mimbab Tav means death, dying death, personified death. Mimbab Tav. That's what the 4194 means. It means death. (laughs) And they were filling out the death form, 4194. Because you're filling out their form. You're appealing to their system to get this birth registration back. Why? So you can pretend that you own it. So now there's nothing between you and evil but your claim to own their birth certificate. Now you you think Christ is in between you and them. And, and it could be, but it might not be. And, of course, we show you where it might not be because that same uh, 4194, you know, can also be a verb spelled exactly the same way, but they give it a different strong number. They give it 4191, but it means to die, to be killed, to be executed. And you filled out the form <laughs> to die, to be killed, to be executed. Now, if you were really using apostille the way people like Glenn Souls used it and everything, you have to stop taking benefits. Now, he, he, he fudged on that because he was still allowing people to create this corporation soul by getting EIN. And then when they got the EIN, then they could get a bank account open. And, and that was a fiasco. I probably have some old programs on that. I, like, I love Glenn. And he's a remarkable individual. Uh, but he was wrong. What he was creating with those corporation souls was not the church established by Christ. And he needed to do things quite a bit different. But he didn't. So anyway, some of the other errors, that he said there is no promise of lawful money in the Constitution of the United States. And I have a link there so you can go look it up and you show me where that is because I couldn't find it. 
there is a statement that they can accept, you know, uh, gold and silver as payment for debt. But it didn't say you couldn't have notes. You can have notes. You just can't pay a debt with note at common law. A portion of the debt remains. And they they didn't create the notes. They allowed the Federal Reserve to be created, and they created the notes. And, and we have articles up on the Federal Reserve, so you can go look at how the Federal Reserve works. And, and I don't even put it all up there. But I can tell you this. Leviticus 19.36 says, just balances, just weights, just effa, and a just hand shall ye have. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. When you started putting notes in your wallet, instead of a just weight and measures, you abandoned just weights and measures. You abandoned the command of the king, of God. Proverbs 16.1, a just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bags are his work. Federal Reserve notes are not his work. So when you started using them, you were abandoning the way. Of course, you were already, you didn't see it. Some people did see it. Some people spoke out. Some people warned that this will create the largest trust in the history of the world. And of course, that trust is mammon. And that mammon is the unrighteous mammon. Now, they're talking about an ecclesiastical trust, but it's not the righteous mammon. Uh, now, I don't know what their entire motivation is. I'm all for them put, putting their money in their pocket. But then you have to consider, now, is it your money? I mean, can you even, if you're a citizen of the United States, can you even own, own gold and silver? Now, when they went bankrupt, how come they went bankrupt? Well, you were doing all kinds of things that were against the ways of Christ. You are giving the government the power to borrow money in your name. Now, they, they couldn't make you collateral yet. But since you were buying your land with notes, you were not discharging the land. You were not char- discharging. You were discharging the debt, but you weren't paying the debt. Because you can't pay a debt with a note. Standing versus white. I mean, it's been ruled for for over a century. So when you bought your land with notes, you don't get a lawful title because you didn't use lawful money. You get a legal title. A legal title is not an actual title. You don't own it. Now, and you go look up legal, legal title at Preparing You. We explain it. We show you the law. We show you the definition of legal title. It does not include the ownership of the property itself. So that you've been going wrong for over a century. It didn't start with Social Security, which is 1933, June 5th, 1933. It started before that. I mean, you can go back to 1913 with the Federal Reserve. You can go back to uh, you go back to the 14th Amendment, where you you allowed corporations to become persons. I mean, that you were on your way to destruction. Corporations are the golem. We have, go look up person at at, at preparing you. We explain that. I'm not finished with that, but I've got enough of it there to shake your tree a little bit. And I can see, I can put more links in here, but uh, 
Anyway, so what happened to your gold and silver? Ezekiel 7:19. They shall cast their silver in the streets. That's in the cities. The cities that they create for themselves. The cities of blood they create for themselves. Look up cities of blood. And their gold shall be removed. Their silver and their gold shall not be able to deliver them in the day of wrath. I should put a link there. Because you don't, most people, the day of wrath is the day of consequences. There's consequences. When you started going to public schools more than private schools and, and you started funding those public schools more and more and more with tax dollars, you're entering into covetous practices. Public schools is is against the ways of God. It's it's you know I'm going to tax my neighbor's land or take it away from them so that I can have free education. You've abandoned the ways of God when you do that. That's contrary to the teachings of Moses, contrary to the teachings of all the prophets, contrary contrary to the teachings of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ and the apostles. You're not to be coveting your neighbor's goods. You're not to be forcing your neighbor to pay for your free education or the free education of your kids. You should be creating private schools. And then you would have control. I can guarantee you that they wouldn't be paying money to tweakers to come in and dance for your kids. And those people who want to do that and think that's great, they got to pay for it themselves. But see, you've all gone the way the Proverbs told you not to consent to. The way of the one purse. See, you're all you're all tied together. And now if 51% of the people want tweakers te- tweaking for your kids, they get to do it. You see, because you already decided that it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to what you want. Now you've got more neighbors who want to do what you don't want, and you're upset. Or you, your neighbor's just apathetic, doesn't care. I mean, you guys have been robbing widows and orphans for decades in order to have your free schools, free education. And your churches all your churches don't take care of your social welfare. They don't rightly divide the bread from house to house. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, welfare, food stamps, they divide the bread from house to house. But they're all from the temple, run by the men who exercise authority one over the other. That isn't that isn't Christ's way. The only way you could think that that's okay is that you still live and dwell in darkness. You're still the blind following the blind. There's no way on earth that that's okay. Now, I'm not condemning the people who are doing it. I pray for them every day. I spend hours and hours trying to put this so that you can understand it. And I show you the alternative of how the early church was an ecclesiastic trust. And how... What you own belonged to you, except what you chose to give to the ministers of the church. But the ministers of the church, just like it was in the days of the Levites, just like it was in the days of Christ, they have to belong to God. They can't be in the unrighteous mammon. Now, you can be an unrighteous mammon, but you have to be turning around your thinking and seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we'll give you a lot of opportunities to see if you're really willing to lay down your life for your fellow man. 
or if you just want to be in a congregation of mutual back scratchers that are going to say what you want to hear. I can't provide for that. I'm not going to say what you want to hear. I'm going to say what God puts on my heart. And if it's wrong, you can tell me about it. I'll listen. I'm not afraid to hear your points, and that's why I've got, oh, i got a hand up. Somebody's got a hand up. Sorry, I probably neglected you. Let me look real quick here and see if anybody else, okay. Uh, I want to look real quick. Uh, where, what happened to that page? Where did it go? <laughs> okay, I want to see if, did I get, there's several more quotes there that that I, I go down through this. You know, they say certain things. The fact is you're back in the bondage of Egypt uh, and you can't get out by filling out paperwork. You get out because God's going to set you free. When you actually start doing, you start hearing the cries of your neighbor and you start forming a system of social welfare that is based on charity and love alone. And that's going to require sacrifice on your part. So anyway, I've got that said. I'll go take that answer uh, or that question. And let's see if I push it. I'm going to have to control the volume here. Let's see. Where did I do that? Okay. Okay, 5580. Uh, I got your mic live. Yeah, this is uh, Stephen from Colorado. Okay. Let me let me look at your sound levels here for a second. Just a second. Pull this page up. I can't see it on this small. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I was just curious. Um, not that I'm too worried about it, but when you were talking about the passport and how when you sign that, you're in a binding contract and, and how you have to serve uh, as a civilian um, employee or something like that, is that is that uh, passport contract? Is that something that is binding till it expires, or is there some other ways that you can actually, uh, you know, dismiss it? Well, I don't know that you can dismiss it. Uh, if you go to our passport page at Preparing You, we quote you the actual law and the terms to some degree. There's probably more terms terms, but they would be administrative terms. The point is, is that a lot of people think that they're completely out of the system because they didn't use their social security number to get a passport. And the only reason we publish what they actually say concerning, because you're supposed to take the oath. Okay. Is that coming from you? Okay. Anyway, uh, the, the only reason that uh, we put it up there is just to let people know that these schemes that people have where you don't use your social security number are not going to get you out of the system. They're not going to protect you. Ultimately, it doesn't matter whether you're a Roman centurion or you work for the the corrupt Sanhedrin. Uh, There were guys in the Sanhedrin who were probably saved. But they they had their moment of truth where they – because God will put people all over the place. He'll put you in in a hospital. He'll put you in, uh, you know, in the the road department. He'll put you in the government. Uh, And a lot of people want to just, oh, I want to get out of all that stuff, and I'm just going to get out of it. No. 
what you want to do is get into the place where you know what the Holy Spirit wants you personally to do. So I know for a fact in my heart and in my mind that God keeps some people from understanding everything that I'm saying because God knows their heart better than I do so that they're in the system. But there will come a time when they serve God in that system because I've said from the beginning, always from the beginning, that everybody's going to be free when the unrighteous mammon fails. Christ said this. But not everybody is going to be suitable for more righteous habitations. Because in a lot of cases, they were just a bunch of tax cheats. They just wanted out of the system. They didn't want to pay taxes. They hated paying taxes. They they were angry at the system, and they just wanted out of the system. They got to get over that. They got to forgive the system. They got to turn around their hearts and start following the Holy Spirit. So exactly how far it extends, I don't know. But, you know, ultimately they break all their rules. (laughs) And, you know, uh, when the Pharisees said they had no king but Caesar and then they were destroyed by Caesar, that's not an accident. That that they set themselves up, but they were blind to what they were doing. They were they had Jesus Christ right in front of them, and they when they heard him and saw him come, you know, fulfilling miracles and healing people right in the spot. Their first thought is, now how can we kill him? <laughs> because they hated the light. They they didn't love the light, and like I said earlier in the show. We can love the light, but the closer we get to the light, the more we see in our own selves. And we will all meet certain places that are very hard to get over. But that's part of the journey, and God will provide you a way over that way. And, you know, I, I was trying to think of a story. That, there was a story where, uh, where, like, God plucks the guy out. You know, he says, no, this guy is my, well, actually, Moses. Moses dies and Satan comes to get him. And he says, no, you you can't have him. (laughs) It wasn't because he was without sin. And I don't understand exactly how that context works. I don't want to create all kinds of uh, ideology with it. But he, he knew Moses' heart. And hopefully God knows your heart. And uh, the question is, do you know your heart? Do you know all the things that have gotten inside you? Every one of us have had trauma. Every one of us have somebody that we need to forgive. Every one of us have something we need to sacrifice so that we will see more light. And it's going to be a constant struggle. But like I said, you can go to the page on passports uh, at uh, preparingyou.com. And, you know, we quote the actual law you might have to look at the footnotes, but I think it's all there. Uh, but how far it extends, they'll probably fudge if it, you know, like if it's supposed to expire. You know, I, you know, like your Social Security in the United States. If you give up your citizenship and your Social Security number, you have to go to another country, another jurisdiction in order to do that legally, according to their rules. And, of course, you know, when Moses freed the Israelites, he did it according to the rules of Pharaoh. He didn't make up new rules. He knew the law. 
in, in Egypt. And he held Pharaoh. And so, you know, the reason God was able to destroy or create a situation where the Pharaoh and his army destroyed themselves, because the Pharaoh made an agreement. The reason the Pharisees were destroyed, because they said they had no king but Caesar. And then they disobeyed Caesar. So we want to be friends with the unrighteous mammon, but we also, you know, how that looks in everybody's individual life, that's between them and God. I can't tell you how that's going to look. God may want you to have a passport, and then when it's time, you know, it's kind of like when finally, you know, like for years I thought, do I get rid of my driver's license? Do I do this and everything? And finally they wouldn't give it to me anymore. This is a long story short. They wouldn't give it to me anymore. And uh, somebody had their hand up, and I saw that they just get disconnected. But if they call back, I'll I'll get there. I'll, I'll pick on them right away. So it was a seven 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 number or something. But anyway, uh, that 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 on the day that they finally would not do it, and I, I've I've given all the details of this. Not only my driver's license disappeared from out of my house, I have never been able to find it since. I don't know where it went to. It just viscerated out of existence. But they lost my records too, <laughs> same with my social security number. They can't find them. I don't know. I had an IRS agent tell me that uh, – that, uh, where they supposedly were removed by a certain guy that comes from a particular office and takes them down the street and he knew the address and everything. And, and maybe he's telling the truth, but as far as I know, maybe Michael the Archangel came and took it. <laughs> but they can't find him and I'm not asking them to look for him. <laughs> so God is in control. The critical thing is that we need to learn to move from the Holy Spirit and not from our preconceived notions of how we think things ought to be. And one of the ways to get to that place is not impose, which seems to be the theme of this program, not impose way that we think things ought to be on other people. You can come into a congregation and be, you know, uh, you know, a senator or a congressman or, you know, a brain surgeon or you work for a pharmaceutical company. But we let God and his light sort them out. So, yeah, you could, like I said, you can look that up. But I'm sorry that uh, we lost whoever's number it was was 777. Uh, I hope they call back. I'll, I'll call on them right away. But does that kind of answer the question for you? Yeah, that that was good. Thanks. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for the call. I'm gonna see if I can. Let's see. Do I go back to here? I forgot how to do this again. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we got you disconnected. Anyway, if somebody else wants to call in, that number three one nine five two seven six two zero eight, and I'll try to get right to your hand. I saw two hands come up, and I answered the one, but I didn't get to the other one. So, uh, okay, somebody asked, Gregory, since you brought up passports, what's your thoughts on the national status from citizens on your passport? Okay, well that that's a whole uh, 
Thanks for the question. I, I, that's Sarah. We have people that are, are dealing with that issue right now. And, uh, and some of their family want them to do that, and they cannot bring themselves to do it because they don't trust all the stuff that they're talking about. Most of the cases that I've seen, you have to misrepresent something in the documentation in order to make that work. Now, maybe some people have found workarounds on that, but if you have a passport, uh, the, the rules on passports apply to that. And I'm not saying don't get the passport. Maybe if God wants you to get the passport, get the passport. Don't get it because you want it. Don't get it because you think you ought to have it or that you want to go to Guadalajara or, or whatever. Uh, but don't keep yourself from getting it like I'm making some kind of rule up. Seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, like I say, puts you in all kinds of places. So I kind of addressed this in talking to Colorado there. But uh, uh, I hope that's enough. You can put another add to that question. Uh, but I don't think that you really – I'm not against people getting that national status citizen, but do not sign anything that isn't 100% true. It's got to be true. There's no finger crossing, and, and I kind of see that in the C, C2K people. You know, they say they want this because they're going to use it for a country like Taiwan – they want this, but they're not. Uh, they're, they're just they're, their motivation is different than what they're representing. And then when they get all this paperwork, then they supposedly just keep it in their house. And that's totally contrary to what the Declaration of Independence is. You know, I'm right up front, out in the open with almost everything. There's some things, even Christ said it this morning when we were doing our study this morning, it is given to some people to know some things, but not given to others. <laughs> so, but uh, I, I'm just not supposed to give everything to everybody. So, yeah, everything is out there. But until everybody's read everything that's out there, don't expect me to pull any of the things that are secretly. <laughs> not that your question, Sarah, is anything like that. But, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the national status stuff. And ultimately, I want everybody to do what the Holy Spirit is guiding them to do. But there is, the solution is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness with your whole heart, mind, and soul. Whatever sacrifices God calls on you to do, you need to do it. You need to do it willingly. But that's between you and God because that's ultimately everybody has to be plugged into that Holy Spirit. And I tell you that. That Holy Spirit is a lot more powerful than the emotions that a lot of people are mistaking for the Holy Spirit. So anyway, I don't see the 7-7 number coming back on. Uh, looking at my clock, i got a very little time. I'll be cutting some of this out because uh, Paul wants me to keep it down to two hours. But uh, we'll take out the part that I'm dealing with with the, this uh, guru thing, and we'll put that separately probably. But anyway, uh, as I was saying, this, this massive system of unrighteous mammon, which now engulfs the whole world because all the countries are linked by trees, all the social security numbers and sessulas and all these different numbers are linked by trees all over the world. Everybody's not in it. You can go to some countries, 10, 20, 30% of the people in some countries have no numbers. Just amazing. Doesn't mean that they're in the kingdom. 
And just because you have the number doesn't mean that you can't be getting into the kingdom. How you get into the kingdom is that you follow the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will eventually get you down on the shores of the Red Sea with the armies of the world and the New World Order coming down on you with everything they got, but God stepping in between you and them. Now, that may be on an individual basis. Maybe we'll all be in one place. I doubt we'll all be in one place, but we'll... But you know, time and space means nothing to God. So the critical thing is that we have to actually be listening to the Holy Spirit. So if, he, if he's awakening you to some of these things, you need to be acting upon some of these things. So uh, okay, also th- th- this like I said, they're the, one of the things that they didn't seem to realize is that they are in the system of the bondage of Egypt. And just because you didn't understand it doesn't mean that you aren't because you took the benefit. I mean, who took care of your parents? Uh, who educated you? Who educated your children? Did you send your kids to public school? Because they all are operating on debt. Because the government's operating on debt. It's been operating on debt before 1933. It was operating on debt, and it's never been different. There is no solvent Social Security. Some of them might be thinking that. I know you've all heard that. Proverbs 17:18. A man void of understanding striketh hands and becometh a surety in the presence of his friend. If we wanted to understand, then we can seek the truth. But the fact that you didn't understand doesn't mean you're not a surety for debt. Proverbs 20:16 and Proverbs 27:13 are repeating the same thing. Take his garment that is surety, that's his covering, for a stranger, and take a pledge for him for a strange woman. A strange woman is the strange fire. It's the harlot. It's the system of social welfare through men who exercise authority because the harlot rides the beast. The, the the Roman Church does not provide social welfare for all Catholics. I would estimate that less than 10% of the social welfare for Catholics is provided by the Church. And uh, so there you have it. So the truth is, is that the people have become assets of the unrighteous mammon. They are surety for debt. They are back in the bondage of Egypt. And they are employed. I could put another link there. They are employed by the modern pharaoh and Nimrod back in Babylon, literally in a city of blood. We need to admit the truth of that and then follow the instructions of Christ to find our way out. Luke 16, 11, if therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? So, yeah, a lot of the people want to get out of the system and they somehow or other think that that's going to protect them. No, you're in the system. Be righteous with it. And and you'll be more suitable for righteous habitation. Now, they were still paying their tally of bricks, but they were seeking the kingdom of God according to the instructions of Moses. And in order to do that, they had to help one another out. They had to be organized before and during the plagues in order to get through the plagues. And they received extra protection because they were doing that. Why did they go into bondage? Because they wouldn't hear the cries of their brother. 
How do you get God to intervene while you're in bondage? You start listening to the cries of your brother and acting upon them. You have to go back the same way that you got there. So this is the whole reason why you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And you're going to hear from your brother and he's going to say things that you don't like. But either you're going to stick with him to hear him again and you get to tell him, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. But you got to be there because you're not there for what he can do for you. You're there for what you can do for him. And maybe it's to listen to his bad ideas and tell him, you know, I don't think that's a good idea. And maybe you're right. Maybe it isn't a good idea. But maybe you're wrong. But you have to have the conversation. Because that's how your conversation gets to be the conversation in the kingdom of God. Mark twelve thirty one, And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And of course, the first one was to love God. But then in John fifteen thirteen, he says, greater love hath no man than his, that a man, that than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. That's what we, that's why we gather, to do that for others. Proverbs eleven fifteen. He that is a surety for a stranger shall smart for it. That's what they're feeling. And he that hateth suretyship is sure. But people wanted the benefits. Or they were the blind following the blind. If they were blind, there's probably a reason. And, and you know, but uh, that's got to be a little bit different for everybody. But the principle applies all the way across the board. So anyway, I repeat again, Matthew 6.33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. And in Luke 14, 27, and whoever doth not bear his cross, and your cross is now that you're in the bondage of Egypt, and come after me, cannot be my disciple. Or which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? So we're facing that, if we can do things. And, you know, you have, to, you have to take these things in context. This is a, the journey to the kingdom is one day at a time. It's one individual. I could tell you the dreams I had when I first started this and bizarre dreams, uh, which I didn't have many of, but it's showing that I have to depend upon that which is unseen. And it's always come through to, for me. But it doesn't mean that it isn't always bringing a greater and greater challenge. And it's going to do the same for you. We all have different crosses to bear. We all have different responsibilities. We have fam. Are we taking care of our family? Are we taking care of people in another congregation that is not even our family? I was always amazed that people wanted to start a congregation only with their family members. <laughs> and it usually ends up that they can't get along entirely with all their family members either. But No. That isn't the way it works. Uh, you know, we have to be willing to, and we are so diverse in the sense that we come from so many different religions and different backgrounds, and people are going to, you know, somebody's going to see one part of the kingdom and somebody else is not going to see it, but that other person who doesn't see what you see, he may see things you don't see. 
but it's in that conversation that both of our eyes may be open. You know, and so that that's what we have to do. So Psalms one nineteen, I'll jump all the way down here. Oh, well, you know, I, maybe we'll do Proverbs eleven four. Riches profit not in the day of wrath, in the day of consequence, because that's really what the wrath means. But righteousness delivers us from death, and so that that goes back to Sarah and, and uh, the question from Colorado is that uh, it it's 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 how we do the righteousness that God puts in front of us. How we deal with the people right in front of us. With our wives, with our husband, with our children, with our neighbors, with uh, strangers that we come across. And God will put challenging people in our way all the time. But you have to constantly consulting that Holy Spirit as to how to deal with them. Because sometimes they, they may need a scolding. And you'll find yourself, well, I don't want to tell them because I'll upset them. And everything. No, no, maybe you need to scold them. Maybe not. That's in the moment. Be still and know. And finally, in Psalms 119, 122, be a surety for thy servant for good. Let not the proud oppress me. Okay. We need to be a surety for everybody in our congregation and every congregation in the whole network and beyond, people we don't even know. We have to come together with the intention that we will save others. Uh, you know, be implementing, you know, serve God by helping save others. And uh, not oppress one another. Which goes back to the thing, well, like I said, it seems to be the thing, is that if we're only going to let people say what they want, or we want to hear them say, or we won't gather with them, we're, we're not dependent upon the Holy Spirit. We're dependent upon our own judgment. Now, if if maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't want you to join with a certain congregation, and you can imagine that is the case, but uh, I'm not sure that that's always the case. I mean, the the person who's going to fool us more than anybody else is ourselves, and that and so we have to constantly be questioning our own choices. And, and you know, uh, Gideon did it. He said, "Well, I'm going to throw the fleece out this way, and I'm going to do it this way," because he wanted to make sure that he knew that he was right. And uh, it wasn't that he was challenging God, but he knew that he was vulnerable to delusion, that he could be wrong. And so they were. he, he was willing to have the conversation with God. If this is really what you want, even Jesus is doing that in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't really want to do this. But if, if this is what you want, then thy will be done. And so we're all challenged with that. So anyway, quickly go back in case that guy called in again to see if his hand raised. No, same one. Sorry I missed that call from the 777 number. I kind of know a 777 number. But anyway, until we meet again, peace on your house, and may God be with you. Thank you all for coming. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom 
with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.